Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. No longer under condemnation. We're free from the law. We walk after the Spirit. We're spiritually minded. Uh, we have life, we have peace, the Spirit of God dwells in us. We have the Spirit of life because of righteousness. We're sons of God. We're, we have the Spirit of adoption. We're children of God. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Hallelujah for Romans chapter 8. But before we reach that eternal inheritance, there will be trials and there will be sufferings. And that is what we're going to talk about this morning. When you see the word suffering, it, when it shows up here in Romans 8, do not be dismayed. What has Romans 8 taught us thus far? We have the Holy Spirit. And when we go through sufferings, the Holy Spirit is with us. And God will be glorified when we lean toward the Spirit and allow the Spirit to guide us. Romans 8, verse 17. Watch what it says. And if children and heirs, heirs of God, join heirs of Christ. We preached on that last week. Here's what we're on now. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified. You see that word we showing up a couple of times? Guess what? News, news flash. All of us share in that in one way or another. It's common amongst all Christians. It's part of this life because we are living, we are trying under the Holy Spirit's power to live godly in an ungodly world. And suffering is what defines who we are as people. We're going to suffer. Make no mistake about it. So how do we deal with that? First verse I'd like you to turn to as we explore this is 1 Peter 2. First Peter chapter number two, verse number 19, the Bible says, for this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffer, suffering wrongfully. You, our conscience toward God, that's our duty in that verse. Because when you go through something, you're counting it as toward the Lord, as for the Lord. You are serving God and you are trusting that it is God's providential hand that will guide you and lead you through the circumstance that he has allowed you and I to be in. You might be in one, I might be in one, but we as Christians are going to go through suffering. And then it says... Um, Toward God, endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Um, for what glory is it? If when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. <coughs> Excuse me. Why do I have to suffer wrongfully? I'm a Christian. I'm trying to live right. 
Why do I have to suffer wrongfully? Because that's part of what being a Christian involves. Watch 2 Timothy 2. Flip back a few books and come to 2 Timothy 2. Look at verse number 9. Watch it. Watch what Paul says in the Holy Spirit's inspiration. Uh, 2 Timothy 2 verse 9. Wherein I suffer trouble. And then it says as an evildoer. Paul wasn't an evildoer. Timothy wasn't an evildoer. You and I aren't evildoers. But it says. As an evildoer. Even under bonds. But the word of God. Is not found. Paul may have been imprisoned. But guess what was not in prison? That's right, the gospel. And you may suffer, I may suffer, but compared to the gospel, Paul considered it a very little and minor consequence. And you know what my problem is? And I'm going to go out on the limb and probably say it's your problem. We tend to focus on the sufferings rather than our eye on the eternal inheritance and the glory, don't we? And I believe that's why God has this in Romans 8 for us, so that he can help our vision. Whatever might befall you, always remember it's secondary. The gospel uh, gloriously triumphing is primary. And that's what you've got to keep in mind. You can't, in business, things are measured by results. You invest this much, you want this much ROI, return on investment. This is how businesses stay open. That's not the church of God. It's not a business. We don't have ROIs. But we're so consumed, we were so Americanized and consumerized that we look at things based on results. The result is that God is glorified and the gospel triumphs. So if you're suffering, quit worrying about the temporal carnal result that you want. And I want too to get out of the suffering. And get your eye on the glory. Get your eye on the gospel went out. People are going to make funny. And people are going to be difficult to deal with. Don't let that discourage you, ladies, from getting together and doing a gospel outreach. Don't let that discourage us, gentlemen, from getting together and, and doing a gospel outreach. Don't let that discourage you, young people, from wanting to live right because the sufferings are going to come. Just know it right now. The trials are going to come. Life is going to be a suffering is going to be part of your life as a young person living for the Lord. Now, you can either consume yourself with that or just realize. There's a victory because the gospel is being triumphed. Now, if you don't if you want to get rid of the suffering and get rid of being a Christian that's living godly. And I guess we'll get to that in a minute. But be, be thankful, be thankful was the point in First Peter 2. Be thankful. Verse number 19, he starts it off. For this is thankworthy. 
you can endure it. And you suffer wrongly. How many of you said this isn't fair? And how many of you have had your parents at one point say to you, life isn't fair? My parents said it to me. As a parent, I say it to my kids. Get used to it. Life ain't fair. Well, that's not fair. Sister got more than me. Brother got more than me. Good. Good. Life isn't fair. I want you to learn that life isn't fair. How come sister got more than me? Because I'm trying to teach you that life isn't fair. So she's getting more for that very reason. We just don't want to be without. We don't want to be without. We don't want to go through any suffering. God says, you better change your thinking. All right, Philippians. Philippians 1. Verse number 27. Philippians 1, verse 27. <clears throat> Second point I'd like to make concerning suffering. First, be thankworthy. Second one, got to stand fast. Bible says in Philippians 1, verse 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of what? The gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. You know what that tells me? The same thing it tells you. You're going to have adversaries. Which is to them an evident token of perdition. In other words, their destruction. You want proof that you're saved? It'll be evident by the fact that people will be against you. You will have adversaries. There's some, there's some, uh, proof of your salvation <clears throat> there's some evidence then it goes on to say but to you of salvation and that of God for unto you it is given watch why are my adversaries given to me and the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for a purpose for his sake Having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now to be, now here to be in me. You are going to have adversaries, and they're going to cause you problems. Don't let that discourage you from striving together with one mind. The sufferings are going to come. You won't get away from it. If you go over to chapter two, you look at verse number 12, it says here. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That comes a few verses after the verses we read about. You're going to have, I've lost my thought, let me get back to it. What's the phrase? Oh, which is to them an evident token of perdition. One way to work your salvation out with fear and trembling is if you have the world opposing you. That's pretty good evidence that you were saved. 
And if you're out preaching the gospel and you're willing to bear that suffering, that's probably pretty good evidence of your salvation. One way to work it out. If you're not getting any opposition from the world, from the devil, or from your flesh, probably you might want to check to see if you're saved. <laughs> you, you should have. You're going to say, oh, yeah, but life is just fun and dandy. That's, that's because you've been sitting under preaching that's not gospel preaching. And you've been reading the Bible that's not a Bible. Or, or I don't know what, a whole host of things. But if you're living for Christ, suffering is going to be there. And I don't mean eye problems. You know, we're praying for that. I don't mean shoulder problems. You know, I don't mean those physical ailments. I mean, this suffering and persecution that Christians are going to go through. We're praying for these families. That's all you can do when you have a school shooting that, as far as I can tell, was a target of a Christian school because they were Christian. I'm talking about that kind of stuff. People say, well, Praise the Lord, it wasn't, it wasn't my school, and praise the Lord, it wasn't our church, and praise the Lord, it wasn't my community. I understand. But it was our state. I understand. Denominations aside, if someone trusted Christ, guess what? They're in the same Christ that we're in. Okay? Your, your denomination isn't going to make you right with God. Being in Christ is going to make you right with God. So, Christians that don't want to witness because they're afraid someone's going to call them a name or some guy's going to bow up in their face or some lady's just going to be catty with you. I mean, what do you really think is going to happen if something bad goes wrong? Like real bad. We get Christians, they can't endure that. Well, bless God, if things get tough, I'm going to... No, you're not going to do anything. You're going to do the same thing you've done for your entire Christian life. Nothing. I don't want to be that Christian. I'm not saying you're that Christian. I don't want us to be that Christian. You better get used to some suffering. You know why a lot of Christian parents don't want their kids to be missionaries? Suffering. They want to make life as easy as possible for their kids. And they never, ever, ever learn to deal with pain. Learn to deal with what the world's going to bring against them. So they, look, you, don't make fun of your president, Sleepy Joe. And make fun that he locks himself in his basement when campaign time comes. If you are a Christian parent, who locks your kids in the basement and locks yourself in the basement and you can't go out and do anything because the world might, the world is going to do what it's always done. And you know what God said? Get out into the world. That's what Jesus did. Well, I'm not Jesus. That's what he told the disciples to do. Well, I'm not the disciples. That's what he told the church to do. So tag, we're all in. <clears throat> we have, it, the parks, you know, you don't 
you come to a new town, you don't have any family, you don't have any friends, you don't have anything really going on, but you got kids that want to play. Do you know what you do? You take them down to the park. Guess who's down at the park? Who? Unsaved people. So what do you do? Put your truck in, you know, 80 miles an hour and just go by as fast as you can. Whatever you do, don't look that way. There's unsaved people there. No kidding. Well, we take them down to the park. And I'm telling you, my kids got more tracks out at the park than I could have gotten out. I'm not playing on the monkey bars. Well, I mean, sometimes I do. You know, you try to, I don't know if you're one of these parents, but, you know, life is so busy. You just try to do your workout when they're doing the, you know, I've done, you know, you do some pull-ups and all that. But look, I am not playing on the playground equipment. The kids are. So, you know, we do, we put some rules in place. Here's some rules. No congregating under the thing, because they got that thing where the big monkey gymnasium, monkey bars and all that stuff. But you can go under there and you can hang out there. They say, no congregate down there. You want to run and play? You can run and play. You know, looking at kids' phones. And no... Uh, leaving that area and you know we're, we're watching and we're, we're putting guidelines in place and now we say go play you know why because they have to learn how to function in society and with other kids who aren't christians and you know what they've talked to baptists how does that even come up? It's only because Christian kids are out with the world. The scary Jehovah Witnesses. They get to hear about Jesus. We're not going to their. Uh, what do you, what do we what do you call it? The kingdom. We're not going to their kingdom hall. We're not. Doing any, any of that stuff. But there's rules in place. I'm not saying my kids are super spiritual. We got an eye on them and all that. With 12 and under, you have to. But they have come and said, yeah, dad, we're, we're wrapping this one up. Uh, language isn't what it should be. Yeah, and there's been times where we go like this, and that means come now because we're leaving. Look, but you can't. Isolate yourself from this world because God never commanded us to do that. We are separatists. We live a separate life that's holy unto God, but it's not the at the it's not isolationist, and there is a difference. We isolate our children because we are so afraid that they might deal with something. You had better teach them to deal with it because life will bring suffering. I'm telling you, there are many, many young people that haven't gotten off a of mama. And you got to get off a of mama someday. There are many young people who can't make a decision without daddy. Look, 12 and under, it's different. But there comes a time where if you're not training that, They'll never be able to make a legitimate decision on their own for Christ. And we try to shelter them from suffering. 
I say, bring it on appropriately, appropriately, so they can learn. They have to learn so they can own this is the Christian life. I'm not trying to be negative on a Sunday morning. I'm not. But that's life. Suffering. Second Timothy 3. It says, should have read this earlier, but we're here now. Second Timothy 3, look at verse number 10. But they shall proceed no further. For their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Here's verse 10 in 2 Timothy 3. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. And look at verse 11. Persecutions, affliction. Which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. Put out of them all. The Lord. Delivered me. Yea. And all that will. Live. Godly. In Christ Jesus. Shall suffer persecution. Well I don't like that. Well get used to it. And make sure your kids get used to it. Because verse 13 says. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Now that story I gave to you about my kids at the bar. I can give you, I can give you tons of stories about them. You know who needs to be there to deliver them? Mom and dad. You don't just send them out with no rules. No fence of safety. None of that. But you have got to set up training situations for them. So you give them an opportunity to, well, fail and succeed and get a praise and get. But when they're when you see the right about, you better be there to help them and deliver them out of that. So just to circle back to that thought, don't think it's just renegade parenting. Yeah, just go head out. and Whatever happens, happens. No, it's thought out. It's prayed about. It's taught. But if you think it's going to get better, it ain't going to get better. What does verse 13 tell you? Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That was in Paul and Timothy's day. How bad do you think it now is now in our day? Sinning is easier to access and quicker to get. And if you don't train your children, and if you don't get your mind affixed on being a soldier for Christ, you will be one of the ones that are deceived and end up as a carnal Christian. And you'll lose the joy of serving Christ and the joy of suffering for Christ. Can I say that? First Corinthians 12. Remember this as well. First Corinthians 12. It says in verse number 25. That there should be no schism in the body and that the members should have the same care one for another. 
I trust you care about me. And I trust that you know that I care about you. Because the Bible says that we should care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. <coughs> These physical ailments, <clears throat> that's what I think about in the morning when I wake up. I hope Connie's okay. I hope Lois is going to get some recovery so she can be in church. I hope Sister Caroline and Brother Dan are doing all right and caring for Mr. Newton. That's what I, when I wake up in the morning, those are just a few of the thoughts I'm thinking about and praying about. Because we're part of the same body. And if somebody else is suffering, I'm suffering. I'm not looking forward to, to June because it's this big month that the queers try to take over. Because last, last year, I remember what I had to go through. I'm not saying I want you to go through that. But if I go through it, I hope you're suffering because I'm suffering. I remember being down in the land. We went and worked. There's a big, big football, college football is big. Florida-Georgia game is big when we were down in Florida. And so we went. We went. Uh, my preacher's there, and he's preaching. He must have preached 30 minutes straight, just preaching with drunks and all types of – I'm there holding the sign, giving tracts. Some of the other fellows are there. My son, he don't even remember it. I brought him. He had a sign, and he was sitting down playing in the dirt. And the preacher's preaching. We're holding signs, giving tracts out. And this big old boy came up and got my preacher's face. Now, this verse didn't come to my mind. But what came to my mind is my preacher's in trouble. He's suffering. I'm going to suffer. So I got in the guy's face. And it took me about 30, 40 seconds to move him on. But I appropriately moved him on. You know what that is? Someone you care about that's going through some suffering. And you're saying, I'm willing to go through some suffering. Well, you shouldn't have had your child there. There was, there was drinking and there was well I guess that's up for debate they need to learn the world's wicked and I'm not saying you need to do that and look there's a lot of wickedness out there I don't want my kids to see parents have different things on the levels based on where their kids are I get all that but I know when they do that thing down Dogwood Park with that uh, that gay pride festival I know I don't want my kids there I know I don't want my wife there and each family has to work that out I'm not telling you one way or the other all I'm saying is you got to find out a way to get a hold of the fact that if you are suffering I should try to bear some of that suffering Physically, may cost you time. Mentally, spiritually. And if I'm suffering, I would hope you would do the same. If our kids are suffering, I hope we would rally around each other. All for Jesus, all for Jesus, except we sing it. And if our heart thinks all for me, all for me, that's off. 
wouldn't be something somebody was singing that song and then you just you hear somebody just tear a page out of the hymnal and they're just so convicted they run up here with it crumbled up weeping on the prayer bench because you got to admit because I would admit it at times it is about me but the Bible says if I suffer, you suffer. If you suffer, I suffer. None of us want to volunteer for it, but Satan is the prince of the power of the air. So you don't have to volunteer for it. By the mere fact that you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, it's coming our way. And the more you try to shelter yourself from it and act in, in the sense that you act like it doesn't exist, that's where we fail. It exists. Look, try to avoid it, but it's unavoidable. In Hebrews 11, they talk to Moses, uh, referring to Moses, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Well, preacher, we're not going to enjoy the pleasures of sin, but we're just going to stay away from that because, well, there's going to be some suffering. Yeah, no kidding. Guess what Moses chose? The people of God. The people of God. And I know if something was going on and somebody was really suffering, having trouble with, I'd try to help. I'm not talking about you going down gambling all your money away and you're broke because you spend it all on Bud Light and cigarettes and gambling. Now I'm suffering. Now I'm going to show up and bail you out. No, I'm not going to do that. That, that. That's not suffering biblically what we're talking about. We're talking about a serious spiritual affliction that has come into your life. Too many people think of suffering as a punishment. So let me just try to rightly divide the word of truth. Suffering for a Christian, Christian is not a punishment. We're not under the law. First John 3 says, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. It comes because the world hates us. We live in a 24-7 constant battle in opposition against a world system that hates you, it hates me, and it hates our children. Go to Acts 9. This is a great passage. A very popular passage of scripture for many reasons. Acts 9, watch what happens here to Saul. Not yet Paul. In verse 4, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. But he wasn't persecuting Jesus. Well, wait, the Bible says he was. Yeah, I know. But it, what was Jesus on the road with him? Well, yes and no. He, was he walking around during his earthly ministry? No. But Jesus came to him. And he said, Saul, you are persecuting me. You know why he was persecuting Jesus? Because he was persecuting 
brethren. He was persecuting his children. He was persecuting Christians. And Jesus said, Saul, you're doing that to them, you're doing it to me. Why persecutest thou me? You in Christ, the same idea. And just like the Lord came to Saul, that idea of suffering, it's the same thing. You suffer, I suffer. Go back to Romans 8. Go forward to Romans 8. Verse. <clears throat> the end of verse 17. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You look at suffering as the seed, and it's like glory is the fruit, and there's this ripening where it finally comes the full fruit. You know, athletes have mottos like no pain, no gain. I hear we have the, the fastest first grader in town in our church house. That's great. You know, runners, they work real hard. You know, no pain, no gain. You got to run real hard, run real fast. And my sister was a runner. And she still runs to this day. And there's this thing called runner's high. It's this euphoric feel you get. I guess the body releases the endorphins. I don't know all about it. We talked to Christy about it. She probably can tell you more. But it... it you don't get to that until you go through my ankle hurts, my knee hurts, my hip hurts, my lungs hurt, my head hurts. You don't get to that until you go through that no pain, no gain. There's pain before the high. There's pain before the glory. And that's what the Lord is trying to get us. We're running a race. We're running a race for Christ. First Timothy 4. This is a good one. Watch this one. First Timothy four, verse number eight. The Bible says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. So it's this idea we all understand this verse. The Bible's not saying don't exercise, it's saying, look, in light of godliness. It's in very little comparison. And so it's the same idea with the suffering and the glory in Romans 8. The sufferings that we go through is little in comparison to the eternal inheritance of glory we have. And that's the idea here. It's very insignificant exercise. It will profit you a little bit. So you might live to 90 instead of 80. You might live to 60 instead of 40. You might live to 100 instead of 85 because you took vitamins and you did push-ups and sit-ups and, and all your jumping jacks and, you, you know, you ran in first grade and all that. You're the fastest one. That, that's going to give you some profit. But it's bodily. It's in no comparison to the eternal. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore, we both labor, and here it is in verse 10, suffer. Reproach. 
because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. And then verse 11, a very short verse right there. These things command and teach. You want to exercise? Fine. Get a little profit from it. But it's, it's very little significance to the eternal profit of godliness. And by the way, I got to teach you these things too. You're going to suffer reproach. This is why when you see so-called Christian books that hit the bookstore, your best Friday is going to be next week and you're, you know, all about you. And It's to paint a picture of a Christian life devoid of suffering. Because every day is going to be a, a Friday. And it isn't. It isn't. How can I do this? How can I do this life? With the aid of the Holy Spirit, with your eye on the prize, that future glory, that's the big significance. We'll get to this in Romans 8, but we need to know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. We'll deep dive into that when we get to that verse, but that's how we do it. Go to 2 Corinthians 11, because I want us all to remember that we need to expect suffering. Expect it. 2 Corinthians 11. Satan's greatest deceptive spell that he has cast upon this world, and even Christians are influenced by this, <clears throat> is to take the thought, the very thought of suffering out of the Christian life. And evangelism, so-called, is made to be so attractive to get a lost person to just make a profession of something. They don't have any possession. They just want to make it a profession. Second Corinthians 11 verse 23 it says. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths off. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often. In perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils by my own countrymen. In perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness. In watchings, often in hunger and thirst and fastings, often in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh unto me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak. Who is offended, and I burn not. I must needs glory. I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmity. We live in a world of weak knee, yellow belly Christians. It's turned into a pageantry of amusing, entertaining evangelism. 
Suffering is part of the Christian life. I'm not trying to get you to sign up for it. I'm trying to get you to realize you don't have to. It's part of what will come our way. And I would submit that the carnal, modern American evangelicalism has painted a Christian world of make-believe fun. And it results in brief, shallow, mental ascents to doctrinal creeds. It's not Christianity. We're in 2 Corinthians. Look at the fourth chapter. Look at verse 17. People say, well, why are you yelling and screaming and preaching so hard on this? I didn't do anything wrong. You don't have to do anything wrong. I'm trying to get us all to realize suffering is part of the Christian life. It says in verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of what? Glory. We have something that's going to ripen while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. Our sufferings are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. We need to be thankworthy. We need to stand fast. We need to live godly. We need to care one for another. Go back to Romans 8. We'll start to close out. I hope you're with me this morning. I know this is a tough subject. Romans 8, verse 18. For I reckon that's not Southern, that's biblical. It's just an expression of faith and action. Uh, of this present time. You know what God said in Galatians? That he might deliver us from this present evil world. In Ephesians, we see the Bible says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Don't just say days are evil. It says, do something, redeem the time. That says in uh, verse 18 in Romans 8, for I reckon the sufferings of present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory with which shall be revealed in us. Have you ever thought of the fact that this wicked world doesn't deserve to have Christians, godly people living in it? Have you ever thought of that? I had during this study. Why would God Put his indwelt Holy Spirit in us to live in a world of wickedness. You got to remember, we were in that world of wickedness. And it hit me when I got to Hebrews 11. Look at this. This is good. This roll call of faith that comes up. Look at verse 35 in Hebrews 11. 
all these Old Testament saints. And in verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their... I know you probably want more on the aliens, but that's just foreigners. We're not, we're not, we're not going to get into that. But you asked Brother Kelly about that. He's got a lesson on the aliens coming down. Anyway, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. Watch this. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Look at this. Look at verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. God said this roll call of faith. Having godly people living in an ungodly world, the ungodly world wasn't even worthy of their presence. But God chose to use people. And it's for his glory. And we are probably never going to be stoned or sawn asunder. We're going to go through some type of suffering. And there's glory at the end. Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Then shall you also appear with him in glory. Christian, our life is not hopeless misery. Our end is glory because Christ is our life. Are you adopted? Yes. Are you a joint heir? Yes. Are you a child of God? Yes. Do you have the spirit of God? Yes. But if Christ had to suffer, guess what? Yes, you will have to suffer. But was Christ raised from the dead? Yes. So you will receive glory. How many of you have heard of, of the anablep fish? I don't know if I'm saying it right. Anablep. The anablep, they say it's a four-eyed fish. Except it doesn't really have four eyes. Each eye is split into two lobes of the anablep fish. And each lobe has its own pupil and its own separate vision. So in reality, the anablet fish has two sets of eyes. It has one set that can see above the surface of the water. And then that same fish has another set of eyes that can see below the surface of the water. Believers are kind of like the anablet fish. We have two sets of eyes. One set, we see all the sufferings of the world. We see that. We go through it. But we have another set where we now have a heavenward vision. And we can see things above. The world doesn't have that. But we do. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. You can do that. You've got two sets of eyes. No need to stress. No need to despair about the trials and the sufferings. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and for the joy that was set before him, 
endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. One set, we see all the sufferings of the world. We see that. We go through it. But we have another set where we now have a heavenward vision and we can see things above. The world doesn't have that. But we do. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. You can do that. You've got two sets of eyes. No need to stress. No need to despair about the trials and the sufferings. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.